You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Tech Fan Podcast number 169. Tim, David, we talk about the TSA, uh, some video game stuff, and Tim found an Easter egg. And hey, we've got a raffle going on. Check it out. And it is tech fan number 169. I am Tim Robertson, and as always, or most of the time, joined by David Cohen. Hello, David. Hey, hey. We missed last week, didn't we? Yeah, I wasn't. Well, I, as you know, I travel a lot for work, and I think I picked up some sort of bug. I was I was away on the Wednesday, and I felt a bit off, but got back late the Wednesday night and Thursday morning. I woke up, and I just felt I felt like somebody had poleaxed me. <laughs> so uh, well, you traveled I, over a thousand miles the week before. That's right, yeah, in the car. Yeah, uh, but I think actually I was safer then. Then this was the 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 week the week I went down. I've been traveling down to London and back on the train and the underground system in London, and then commuter train out from London to the south Germ of London. Factory. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you know. Well, so, I got sick right after visiting and spending an afternoon at my son's elementary school with a thousand children. That'll do it too. Yeah, I'm still there. I still have a little bit of a phlegmy coffee thing occasionally, which isn't yeah. fun. In fact, I was I did a, uh, an episode this week of OWC Radio. It was episode yeah. seven. Yeah, I heard that this morning. And I was coughing quite a bit in there. I couldn't. I couldn't help it. And I don't know if you heard me coughing much because I was trying to turn my head away from the mic, and they they would catch me by surprise, so I didn't have a chance to you know kill my mic and cough like I try to do. But ugh. So how are you feeling now? Better? Yeah, no, I'm fully recovered now. Um, thank goodness. So I've been back at work the last couple of days and uh, trying to catch up on. You know, it's like when you if you're away for less than a week. And then you come back in, and there's uh, you know there's stuff, pl- plenty of stuff piled up here at home for me to t- attend to, and then work as well. So, uh, yeah, just it's going to be a busy weekend trying to get caught up. I think. You know, uh, go back to my OWC radio show for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, I say my show, but it's it, it belongs to Otherworld Computing. It doesn't belong to me. I just host the show for them. Yeah. Um, I had Allison Sheridan on this episode that we did. And it was a fun conversation, and I also like the fact that we didn't agree on everything. I thought that was that was good. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I was I was kind of I, I mean I came down a little bit more on your side of the argument than than hers. This was a, a debate about whether the Mac was still had a kind of a community around it and whether it was the same as it used to be. And and I I think I agree with you. I think inside a very small segment of the old Mac community it's still there mm-hmm. but I think most people uh, while they they kind of have an, an essence of it lots of people I know who get into Mac kind of evangelize about it to people they know what I, I think a lot of Mac users don't do nowadays is go out and kind of meet up in te- try and meet up in person with 
fellow Mac users just to kind of geek out on Mac. Uh, I think there's much less of that that goes on than they used to. Um, and, and part of that is is because Apple isn't as small and as beleaguered as it used to be, yeah. which kind of drove that kind of herding behavior. And the other thing is we have the internet now, so you don't need to go and meet up with people to do that. You can just, re- if you're reading stuff online and you're listening to shows uh, about the Mac and that sort of thing, you can feel like you're part of the community without necessarily participating directly in it. But I let the conversation go because I could tell it wasn't going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But what I really wanted to come back with was, well, Allison, you're living in a bubble. Yeah. So you're seeing this, what you call a great community, and she mentions Google+. And that's kind of yeah. you know where she was pointing. Well, look at this great community in Google+, as part of the show. Or, yeah. you know, it, well, here's the thing, Allison. The hardcore geeks are on Google+. That's it. That's the only yeah. people that are there. That is not a representative of computer users or Mac users worldwide it's just not yeah but i think i mean that you know that's a fair criticism but pretty much any again because of the internet any interest you have now you can find a small part of the internet where like-minded people will meet whether it be a forum but that doesn't make it a big community or a facebook page but that's that's exactly it or a vibrant community for that matter yeah, uh, you know, these things can wax and wane. Um, but, you know, guys who are into Android, Android phones will point to forums of Samsung Galaxy users and that sort of thing. Say, look how big it is and all that sort of thing. It doesn't necessarily mean... you, you, know, you Humans have a, have a capacity to count in terms of people they know, not, not really far past about 60, 70 people. Yep. So if you're in a community that's got 60, 70 like-minded people in it, you're going to think that's huge. But actually, once it gets past that, you don't know how big it is. And uh, if you have a 1,000 people on that community, while that's going to be massive to you, that is a drop in the ocean compared to pretty much anything else. Mm-hmm. You, know, you probably get more people who are, in, who are interested in, in the uh, migration patterns of the lesser-spotted woodpecker. Well, here, I'll give you a prime example. I'm in a group on Facebook uh, for classic video games, and they only talk about classic video games. Basically, uh, I don't know, pre-2000, okay? It's it's thousands of members. I think it's close to 2,000 members at this point, or over that. Uh, Owen Rubin, who's co-hosted the show here a few times, is is a member there. In fact, someone posted an old Atari video from the early 80s and Owen is one of the people in the videos talking right uh, he looks quite different than the way you know what Owen looks like from yeah San Francisco um, that's not a big community of people but yet it's 2,000 people who belong to so do you say now oh there's a huge vibrant community no well, it's it, it just depends a small what, group of people with it depends interests. what the objective of the community is if it's just talking about stuff then 20, 50 people is a big group. If you want to maintain a, a product or a business because your discussion of that product and business kind of generates sales for somebody, it needs to be much bigger than that to be viable. Yeah. Um, so it, it really depends what, what people are looking to get out of that um, that community. But, you know, that's not to diminish what, what Allison has and what no, we have No, not at all. And that's what I was trying to... Or anything. Right. It, it's fine, but but you've got to... You're right. You do have to kind of keep a perspective about what it really is. And, and unfortunately, and, and I can understand how if you've been through it, it must be kind of sad. You don't want to give it up. But this kind of, those halcyon days when it was just a, a few dogged Mac users against the rest of the, in, the, rest of the industry and, and almost like the rest of the world, um, and then to come back from that, I, I think the, the days of that 
type of community have gone. The, the world has changed, and and the nature of uh, of the of, of the Apple community has changed. Speaking and it's not. Yeah. Right. I was just going to say. So it, it's 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 divided up into a lot of different segments now. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of the Apple community, um, and I, here's the thing: I don't know if it's just Mac, but I'm. I, I don't know. I don't think it is. But that being said, we've got a giveaway to do, David. Uh, as you know, you probably saw my review of Lego Marvel Superheroes for the Mac at MyMac.com. I did. And it's a fun game. It's it's a typical Lego game. You break things, you solve puzzles, you go, you unlock things, you go back to a level to unlock more things. It's fun. It, it's, uh, you know, I, I've said it before, we're a big... A Lego video game playing family in my household. The kids like it, my wife likes it, and I like it. I mean, I did a podcast by myself, uh, I don't know, a month ago, two months ago, whenever I did the last solo tech fan, where my wife was actually playing Lego in the other room. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of explains, you know, we. I've got a predisposition to like those games. But when I'm doing a product review and playing through it the first time on the Mac, I try to keep an open mind. What's a new user going to think about this game? Now, I gave it a very high ranking. I actually gave it a 10 out of 10. I had no yeah. problems with the game. I plugged an old Mad Cat's game controller into my Mac. It's a USB one. The game and the Mac just saw the controller, and it worked perfectly. I didn't have to do anything. didn't have to set up anything. So I'm very happy that you know this game works. Now, I didn't run it from a, a CD. I... I don't even know if it's out on CD. I'm sure it is, or DVD. I don't have a DVD player in my Mac, in my iMac anymore. Mm. I pulled that out, and that's where the uh, OWC SSD is is located, and that's what runs the computer. And my original hard drive is just storage. Um, although occasionally I'll boot up from that original hard drive just to update the operating system on that end, just in yeah. case you know something happens with the SSD and I need to emergency boot, I can do that from the other drive, and it's still somewhat current. All that being said, I really, really like this game. And it, it ran you know, really, really well. Well, their marketing manager is who I always deal with when it comes to review codes. He sent me uh, a review code to download the game and play it. We got to talk... He, one of the things as a publisher, David, is a lot of companies will call me up to give me inside information on stuff that's upcoming, hoping that we'll cover it in the future. Um, the weird part is we're not a news site at MyMac.com. <laughs> you know, we, yeah. don't, we don't publish news. It's mostly a few opinion pieces, a couple how-tos every now and then, but mostly it's product review. That's what we do at MyMac. Um, but yet these companies still want to kind of fill me in. So the marketing manager at Feral Interactive who made the port for Marvel Lego superheroes called me up and uh, wanted to fill me in on some of the upcoming games and what I might be interested in, what some of the other staff members might be interested in. And uh, he hadn't read the review yet. And I told him, well, the reviews posted, I gave it a very high score. Actually, I gave it a 10 out of 10. It's a great game. He says, well, Hey, if you want any codes to give away on either the website or on some of the podcasts, we're happy to do that. That's cool. So I said, absolutely, send them over. So they've sent them over. Now, these are Steam codes. Steam is, well, how do you describe Steam? Well, it's, it's an it's a 
online marketplace for uh, video games. Correct. Yeah. And Steam is kind of, when it comes to the PC gaming world and Mac, it's kind of taking over, isn't it, David? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely going places. A lot of people, it was it was started by Valve, but it's run by Valve, who um, did the Half-Life series of games. And a lot of people, when, they, when it started, kind of thought, oh, this is never going to take off. But it surely has. Um, and they do games for all the different platforms now. Effectively, it's 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 like um, it's like an app it's, store. It's like an app store, but I was going to say it's like an app store on steroids, really, because it's, it's it is pretty slick. I've talked about Steam before, and I've I I like Steam. The only thing I don't like about it is it has this kind of infuriating requirement to uh, like like the like the Diablo stuff I was talking about a few months ago. Um, it it keeps on wanting you to connect to it to yeah. get updates and stay online, make sure you're valid and that sort of thing. But it's certainly a very convenient place to buy games for Linux, Mac, or Windows, and um, very keenly priced as well. Absolutely, and that's to me that's the key. I I see sales. I get email as the publisher of my Mac from the Steam marketing people, I guess, or company. Yep. And so I see all these sales that are going on all the time. And wow, I, I mean, I've seen some sales there. I, I I had to hold back not going on to Steam and, and buying something because it was such a good deal. That's I don't play a lot of Mac games or yeah. games, period, on my Mac. I'm more of a console or iPhone, iPad game user, not so much on the computer. Yeah, the advantage of something like this is that actually it doesn't matter which computer you're using. You once you've got the Steam client on, um, any any game you you go to will you that you've bought will be available on any now, computer. That includes if you let's say have a Mac and a PC. If the game is available for for both, you can download it for both, yeah. but you're only paying for it one time. Yeah, uh, so, and then if yeah if you buy a new computer. It'll pick, and not only that, they they have technology in there so that if you're halfway through the game, um, it'll restore your saves as well. So yep. it really is. This is what I'm saying about it. it's like the App Store and steroids in that it really they've done an awful lot to make the gaming experience as seamless as possible for the people who use Steam. Yep. Um, you know, I I know a gripe about the uh, the online component, but um, actually it is a pretty good service. So. They gave us five codes to give away. Now, I gave three of those codes to Guy Searle and Gazmaz at My Mac Podcast to give uh -huh. away. You and I are going to give away two copies of the game here on the Tech Fan Podcast. I like the sound of that. So the only thing, if you guys listening, or gals, I suppose, want a copy of this game, not going to cost you a dime, all you have to do is send an email into contest at mymac.com so contest at mymac.com and I'm going to randomly select uh, basically I copy the email uh, I've got this little I think it's a, it's either an automator thing or an Apple script thing I can't remember which now I think it's Apple script because yeah. you've been using that thing for a long and time and it still works and a listener <laughs> years ago at the mymac podcast when we were doing that show yeah. actually wrote it for me yeah. Uh, it just randomly selects the winner, so I'm that's what we're sure going to do. I'm, I'm fairly sure it came before Automator, to be honest. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, although Automator's been around for quite a while, but yeah, so the the My Mac podcast is even older. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to win, 
simply send us your name and an email. I don't need uh, your mailing address or anything like that because, quite frankly, it's it's a downloadable code. It, it's not, you know, yeah. a physical disc that we're going to send you. If yeah. you're not already on Steam, you do need to be on Steam to use this. But this, I mean, you could join Steam without a credit cost, card. Yeah, you right. don't need a credit card. You don't. Um, there's no cost involved. It's pretty. It's pretty low. Low friction. Yep. Um, and just to give Steam a bit of love, what I would say is this: when you reviewed this game, you said it was thirty dollars, and that's cheap. Mm-hmm. And you're right; it is cheap. But actually, on Steam, it's only twenty dollars. So yeah, and you know when I first <laughs> no, if you downloaded don't, if it, you don't win, yeah, if you don't win the code. And you want you fancy this game? Go out and buy it. Twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's a lot more than that on the consoles, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is. It's it's forty nine. Full price starting on the consoles. Yeah, it's fifty yeah. bucks. So, but here's the thing: when I first downloaded it, David, they sent me a Mac App Store code because they knew I was recording it or uh, downloading it for the Mac. And I don't think right. he had Steam codes at the time. Yeah, yeah. But when I first downloaded it, it was nineteen ninety nine on the Mac App Store. Now it's twenty nine ninety nine. So I actually, right before my review went live, I had to change the price because yeah. it was. Ten dollars more. It's still it's still nineteen ninety nine on Steam. Mm-hmm. Fourteen pounds ninety nine here in the UK. That's um, a steal. It's such a good game. It is a it is a steal because these are I looking at these. I think the Marvel superheroes one is probably get the best of all the Lego games because uh, uh, they just yeah. kept on improving, improving. You know, just because well, the you graphics got so, are great. It's you just got such a range of characters yep. and different um, activities you can do and stuff like that. I'd also also very highly recommend the uh ios version of this which is actually different it is different Um, i actually stopped playing it because i was very disappointed in it well the the thing is what i like about it is because it's different it doesn't have that open it is kind of discrete levels and discrete things so it's on the on the uh ipad or the iphone it's something you can dip into and out of much Mm -hmm. more easily than the the main game which is very much the typical open world i think it's five uh, bucks on the ios store yeah it's and if you like if you like lego and if you like the marvel superheroes i still think it's worth five bucks it's Mm -hmm. pretty it's pretty good game i bought it on uh, ipad i just you know the problem is i was playing it on the mac still and it is once you get one type of way to play this game it's hard to switch it to go to ostensibly the same game although a little different and play it there with a completely different control scheme and yeah i just couldn't do it so i i stopped playing it for a while eventually i'll go back to it Uh so speaking of games i want to stay there for a minute oh Uh, sure two things you sent me no it was uh people replying to us on twitter about the game talk and it's you made a comparison to the 3DO, or yep. Owen. Maybe Owen made that. I forget. Somebody did on Twitter, mm-hmm. and I want to talk about that. But first, I was playing an older game on my Xbox 360 called The Saboteur. Yeah. It's. Uh, I don't know if you've ever played this game or even looked at it, David. You could get it dirt cheap now. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite old now. Yeah, but I love the game. You play. Um, I think he's Irish. I forget now. You're you're an Irish guy stuck in France during the invasion when the when Germany invaded France and the whole you know Paris is full of Nazis. And your yep. job, you have missions that you can go on, and that helps you unlock better weapons and stuff like that. By the way, if you hear little kids screaming, there's kids playing in a pool next door. So. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you, no, if the mic's picking I, it up. I can hear them, and I I was presuming nobody was getting murdered. So. No. Although the dogs will start barking here in a minute if they yeah. continue, because it it freaks my dogs out. 
So this is like an it's like an open world GTA style. Right, you could steal you against, cars. You against, and, you against the Nazi game. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I go through the missions just so I can get to the point where I have the weapons that I want. And then I basically do all the open world stuff. If you see a guard tower, your job is to go blow it up. So you have to sneak up there, plant the dynamite or the RTX stuff, and then get away before it blows up, uh, avoiding Nazis. And for each little side mission thing you do, you get a little bit of money, which helps you buy ammunition. I just love the game. I, I played it, and I beat it on the PS3. I was at GameStop, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, and they had it for $1.99 for the Xbox 360 version. Ah, I figured, you know, I don't usually get to play the PS3 because it's in the living room. Yeah. The Xbox 360 is in my office. I felt like playing the game again. I'll pick up the Xbox 360 version and play it. And it was like putting on an old shoe, David. It just fit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyways, the point of this conversation isn't to, for people to go buy this game. The There was an Easter egg in the game that I've never encountered before. I had gone to... Um, I was doing something in the game and I stopped playing for a while because I had to get some work done on the computer. But it was still running behind me. And it had been running for hours and hours and hours. My wife and I were looking at something on the computer and it was midnight. That's how late I was up that night. And as the clock struck midnight, church bells started ringing in the game. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. I, you know, I don't know how many people encountered that. And it's not something that I have ever heard in the game. And again, I played it all the way through back in 09 yeah. when the first game came out. And again now. But I just happened to have it on at midnight. And all the church bells in Paris started dong, bong, bong. <laughs> and then they all stopped. And then 12 bongs. So you know it's 12 o'clock. Yeah. I thought that was... that's. I bet that was this one designer who put that in. You know, look at the clock on the on the Xbox, and when it's midnight, ring the bells. And I know it doesn't do it at noon because I've been playing the game when it's noon before, and I've never heard them. And this wasn't like a little bit of sound in the background. This was loud. Yeah. So I thought that was just really really cool. Uh, you know, I just I've just found a, a post by somebody back in 2009 who who found uh, the same sort of thing. They had the game on pause. They were doing a bit of internet. All of a sudden, they heard church bells. Yeah. And they realised it was dead on midnight, and uh, and the the church bells are, are giving up the twelve bells. So uh, isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah, I'm glad someone else so, found it, and I'm not the only one. Although, I'll, I'll be honest with you, David, when you come across something like that that you know is very obscure and very few people find, it makes you feel special that you found it. Sure. You know? Yeah. Anyways, uh, back on topic, I guess. We were... T oh, one more thing about that first. Um, about my video game system. John Nemirovsky, uh, a big listener of the show, he's also the editor at MyMac.com, a reviews editor at MyMac.com, had sent me an email that he'd like to see a picture of my game setup since I've talked about it so much. So I actually s took some pictures and sent it to you guys. Yep. Uh, that's what I'm going to use for the show notes on this episode. So if you want to see what my video game setup, look at the picture that's associated with this episode. You can either go to techfanpodcast.com and see it, or if you're on your iPhone, that should be the picture that's showing up on your iPhone or your Android device. So just want to throw that out there, David. Cool. Um, 
The post on Twitter was about the winners and losers of the console video games over the years. And I remember almost all of those systems. There was a couple obscure ones that I've never seen before. But I think you were the one that pointed out that it's a cautionary tale as well. Yeah. Especially the 3DO. For a system that costs too much money, isn't well received, and not a lot of developers are developing for it. Yeah. And that you would hope that, you know, obviously by extension of you saying this is a cautionary tale, that game developers out there, the council makers, maybe they'll learn something from this. And I think you might have been talking about the Nintendo Wii U, correct? Uh, well, actually, I was talking about all the next-gen systems, really. There's, I think There's one that hasn't been released that really is the 3DO, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, the... Uh... I, I think I think the way that uh, Microsoft has has mishandled the Xbox One launch, uh, all the about faces they've changed, and they're still reversing stuff in that day by day almost. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think that is very very similar to a lot of the hype around the 3DO, um, and the fact that uh, because of missteps by um, by the 3DO company, that console never. You know, never, never realized the uh, the potential it had. Well, the um, biggest... it, that, and that that was also one where the the messaging around the console was very mixed about yep. what it was. Three um, D O didn't actually make the hardware themselves; they licensed it to uh, Japanese and that's, games. That's yeah. the part that I wanted to bring up because yeah, there was a Panasonic three D O. There was a couple. I think there was an RCA at one point. Uh, there was a couple yeah. different. There was yeah. There was uh, Sanyo, Gold Star. Gold uh, Star is the one I was thinking of. Yeah, not RCA. Uh, Panasonic was the one that kind of stuck most in my mind. Yes. Um, but know, there even was Sony, even Sony was looking at doing it and then um, dropped out and did the PlayStation themselves. Correct. But yeah. the problem with the 3DO was that these companies they had a reference standard, but they could add to it if they wanted to. Yeah. Do you know what that sounds a lot like to me, David? The Steam Box. The Steam Box, yeah. That's the problem that I see with the Steam Box. You have to have a minimum set. But if there's one company that's a little bit more popular than the rest and they add something else in there, do the game developers take advantage of that? Or do they not? Do they keep the lowest common denominator software requirements that you know that every Steam Box is going to have? Or do you have one that tries to push the boundaries and then you piss yeah, off the ones that bought the lower end box? It's like it's like the Xbox One now with the Connect. No, because at least Microsoft, at the very least, and I know where you're going with that, that yeah. they, they dropped the Connect. So what about these game developers that were told that you have to incorporate the Connect somehow? Um, but this is different, though. There, there's I know, at least I know Microsoft it's... is still in charge of the product. Yeah. And I, and I, I think. I think probably Microsoft dropping the Connect. If you look at what Google are now desperately trying to do with Android, which is they're trying to wrest back control yeah. from uh, particularly from Samsung, um, and and actually something that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I that I picked up this Microsoft Surface, and something I found with that is that the having had a couple of those Windows 8 tablets, even though this one is the supposed to be the crappy one, the ARM one with Windows RT on it is actually the best of all the ones I've used. Because Microsoft controlled the whole design from beginning to end, yep. and it is uncompromised compared to what the Dell one I had and what the uh, what the Samsung one I had, in that they just weren't as good because they made compromises. And the problem with the with the reference standard 
is that uh, you get to, you get two things. People compromise in one area and, and cut it back to the bone against the reference standard, and then they add their own supposedly differentiator, their own unique stamp on it, which is normally something nobody's interested in. Correct. Uh, and also as well, if you end up with four or five different models, or more than that even, that kind of are all different, all it actually does is dilute the market. It dilutes the market for your buyers. It confuses your buyers, and they don't know which one to buy. And they, then they end up probably going and buy something else. So uh, yeah, I think I th and I think the steam boxes is a great concept, but it really has an uphill struggle. Yeah, they should have uh, went with one hardware maker to do it. Also, as well, they've gone for the Linux games. Yep. And which... you can look at Steam now, and and unfortunately, all yeah, the big titles think the Mac... aren't available on Linux. Right. Well. <laughs> I happen to know there's a company that's going to be changing that, but that's all I can say. But um, that I, anybody listening to this can try probably figure that out pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't think that the the Steam box is going to be a big hit, but of course we could be wrong. Remember, I'm the guy that predicted that the original iPod wasn't going to be that big of a success. <laughs> yeah. I might have been wrong there. Um, well, I don't know. Last month. Out. Last month's sale figures of the iPod were pretty low. There you go. <laughs> Wait long enough, your predictions yeah. come true. 13 years, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> so let's take a quick break, David. And uh, remember, we have a contest. Well, I don't want to call it a contest. You don't have to do anything other than send an email. So it's a giveaway. And we've got two copies of Lego Marvel Superheroes on Steam to give away. So make sure you send those to contest at mymac.com. We'll be right back. Now let me tell you something, brother. Gardening is hard work. You gotta train hard, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, and be ready for anything, brother. Now all you Hulkamaniacs, get out your shovels, your cultivators, and your sunscreen, and listen to the Your Own Victory Garden Podcast on the Stoplight Network. He knows what he's talking about, brother. So what you gonna do when Hulk Hogan builds his raised beds and runs wild on you? Back here on Tech Band number 169. We would really like it if you guys send us some feedback, your thoughts, your opinions. Obviously, to enter the, con uh, the giveaway. I keep wanting to say contest. You know, I keep wanting to say contest, David, because I, I made the email address contest at... Yeah, you did. But that's an like an old, old email address that forwards to my other email addresses. Well, uh, it, is, it is kind of contest. I'll tell you what, Halfway House is not a giveaway, it's not a contest. What it is is a raffle. That's probably the most accurate way to describe it. Uh, and I should say we're going to give it away. Um, let me pull up a calendar here because, you know, someone listened to the six months down the line saying, hey, why never, how come I'm not eligible? iCal. I keep wanting to call it iCal. It's just calendar now. Do you do that? I do. Yeah. We're uh, going it'll to... always be iCal for me. Yeah, yeah. It's same with me. It'll always be mail.app. It'll always be uh, all those things that it used to be. I, I, I mean, kind of, yeah. If you look at Apple's branding, they um, Yosemite is just OS ten Yosemite. It's not ten dot ten, and yet we'll all call it ten dot ten. Uh, you have to send in the email on or before. Well, here's the problem, because Guy and Gaz is going to do one too, and I like just to be able to have one date 
on or before June 24th, midnight, June 24th. That's a Thursday. And we will announce the two people that we're giving it our copies away to on the episode that we do that week, David. So we should be recording the 25th or 26th that week. So Thursday, June 24th is the deadline, 2014. <laughs> that way anybody listening to it a year from now goes, hey, it's <laughs> I still got two more weeks. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, we'd love to get feedback from you guys. Uh, please send it in. It really does mean a lot to David and I. You can either send an email to Tim or David at techfanpodcast.com or simply go to techfanpodcast.com and leave a message right there under the show note. Any show, it doesn't matter. I get a notification that someone just left a message and I'll see it and I'll make sure David gets eyeballs on it as well. Love, love, love to hear feedback from you guys. Uh, Even if you don't think you've got much to say, it gives us something to talk about. So send in that feedback. We really, really, really would appreciate it, right? Definitely. Definitely. So David... Before you started this podcast, you made sure you, all your mobile devices were charged, correct? You know what? I, I, I don't know what's worse about this. The fact that it's happened in the first place and all the shoddy way it's been reported. But I tell you, you sometimes you, maybe maybe something about getting older, but you look at things and you think, how really has the world gone completely mad while I wasn't noticing? Um, this is, in the United States, I think it was 2001. Yeah, this is so boneheaded. And so typically, let's come up with a rule, let's make it completely non-obvious why the rule is there, and then let's not bother tell anybody why we're doing this, so they understand the rule. Oh, and then just for good measure, let's roll it out in such a way that means that nobody knows whether it applies to them or it doesn't apply to them, and it depends on where they are and where they're going and whether the moon is full and whether they've ever spoken to somebody called Mohammed in their life. And it's just like, please. Now, going back to explain (laughs) this in a little bit more depth, the TSA came out with some new travel rules in the United States that, in essence, says what it says that they will insist that your any device you take on an aircraft will need to be uh, demonstrated to power up otherwise if, if you try and take a device that's flat onto an aircraft um it won't you won't be allowed to and flat being a laptop uh, well here's the thing <laughs> this is where the details of this just clearly haven't really been thought through. And again, because we don't know what, they haven't identified a specific threat or why this is, um, it's very difficult to parse whether you might fall foul of this or not. So first of all, it's not, as far as I understand it, it's not traveling inside the United States. Because you don't have terrorism in the United States. No, it's people No from, act of terrorism no, never. has ever come in committed by uh, somebody of American birth in, within the soil of the United States. I know that for a fact. That must be the fact. Otherwise, it these rules won't make sense. I'm, I'm sure anybody in Oklahoma would disagree, but they would be uh, wrong. And, and there's never been any U.S. servicemen who've walked into U.S. Army properties Nobody and shot that lives in or, or serves at Fort Hood right now. Exactly, yeah. and and nobody in Washington's ever been shot by snipers, and we could go on and on and on. Um, so yeah, there's point one, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Keep keep counting, kids, because there's a few of them. Um, this is for people who are traveling from outside of the United States 
to the United States. Well, those people so, don't have rights to the United States anyway, so what the hell? We don't care. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, let's face it. U.S. citizens have fewer rights than you used to have anyway, but yeah, right. we have well, it's us, not like, us foreigners. Right, and, and it's not like, yeah. you know, America relies on, like, tourists or something. Yeah, exactly. You know, why not? The first thing you want to do when people are coming on holiday to your country is inconvenience them. Yeah. Um, so, th- th- and let me say, as somebody who travels a lot, is that this is a whammy for people like me who come from Western countries like the United Kingdom who receive these edicts from the TSA and take them very seriously and apply them really, really hard. Whereas if you go to the Middle East or you go to Hong Kong or something like that, they don't care. Nope. <laughs> they will screen you the same as everybody else and then they'll tell the Americans that, yeah, we looked at it. So, again, the the, the people who are closest to you suffer the most. You always hurt the ones you love. <laughs> Yeah. So um, the, the 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 long and the short of it is that yeah you will not be anything in your hand luggage. Um, it will expect it to be demonstrated to power up, and this is your laptop, your tablets, your Kindles, your iPhones, uh, your MP3 players, whatever. And and apparently they're particularly interested in looking at phones. Now, the problem then is is you then think okay well what happens if I can't get my device to power up? And very mixed messages on that, I think it's fair to say. Um, Initially, British Airways said, well, if you don't power it up, you can check it. (laughs) (laughs) Because nothing nothing ever happens bad through check luggage. It's just what you're carrying with Exactly, yeah. That's right. It's not like there's timers or... Yeah, if it doesn't power up because it's not real, but in fact is something nasty... Putting in your check luggage probably not what you want to do. No. Because it's going to get more closely scrutinized in your hand luggage. So that was – and now I, I think that has now been clarified in that that's actually a poor policy from British Airways. So they're kind of adopting the American line, which is um, the, it's the typical TSA hard-nosed – well, tough – Yep. Effectively, it's like if it doesn't charge and uh, an agent wants to see it working and it and it, co- it won't work, um, it's not even clear whether at the at the point you're being asked this whether you can plug it in the wall. Um, if you plug it in the wall, does if it comes up with the battery like for instance, if you've got an iPhone that's flat, if you plug it in the wall, normally it comes up with a battery symbol right. be- before it will actually power up because normally the the initial five ten minutes of charge aren't enough to actually juice the thing. Now I don't know whether that will be good enough to stop them taking it off you. And then the question, of course, is these things are you know this is not like throwing away a bit of nail polish or a d- bottle of water. These things are extremely expensive, and people are going to go ballistic if they get confiscated because they're not charged. And people are thinking, give me a give me a scenario. Here's the scenario: David is rushing to the airport because his alarm yep. didn't go off that morning, and he wakes up. And realizes, oh crap! The alarm didn't go off, so you're hurrying. And the why didn't the alarm is, go off? Yeah. Why didn't the alarm go off? Because I forgot to plug my phone in last night. That's and it right. Ran flat overnight. That's right. So you're <laughs> rushing to the airport. Your phone is dead. You don't even realize it yet. You get in line. It's a business thing that you have to go to the United States for. You're out of breath. You go through security. Your phone's not powering on because it's got a dead battery. What's the options? A, you don't get on that flight. You lose your job. Yeah. B, they confiscate your phone. Now you're out hundreds of pounds. Yeah. Uh, of course, no mention about something sensible like a, a method for ensuring that your device gets returned to you. Nope. Now, here in the UK, they have said, oh, well, what we can do is we can hold on to it for you until you come back. So if you're doing a return trip, 
we'll hold on to it for you. Well, the thing is, David, it's not like airlines ever lose things. Exactly. Uh, and um, what we're going to have to call this uh, episode facetious. <laughs> and, and it's also not, not like sometimes when you're traveling, you don't come back to where you left from. Right. If you're going on holiday, yeah, it's fine. But for business travel, you don't often return to the same airport. So what happens then? Now, basically, all this does is it creates an enormous amount of inconvenience and headache for the airlines, for the security people, and for the passengers for a very tiny reduction in risk. Because I almost hesitate to say this, knowing that the uh, NSA likes to break into these conversations and record them for posterity. But you know what? I'm going to live dangerously. If you were constructed... <laughs> I'm being very careful. I'm, I'm being very careful about uh, about what I, how I say this. If I was constructing a device to cause mischief on an aircraft, and I wanted that device was not going to be so it was my phone, and I wanted my phone to appear to be a normal phone, even though that's not what it really did. It is not beyond the wit of me putting that together to put a some sort of display that can be powered by a coin battery to flash in the front of the TSA agent who has seen 15 million phones in the last six months to say, yeah, look, it works. Well, here's the thing, David. He's not going to pick it up off you, fire it up and start paying angry birds on it. He's going to look at it and provided he sees the screen working, he's going to pass it through. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Even worse than that, David, it's a real phone, but it's got a fake battery charger thing on the back you know those here's, little things here's, that you could, here's the thing as well the yeah, case exactly. itself is is so, the device so i travel with um a laptop but i also travel with a battery that charges my phone because right. it's an iphone they yes they do run out sometimes so i have an external battery with me now i can't power that up because it's a, just a battery with a usb port on it now to me that's probably a better candidate for the mischief than the phone because you can make it, you can shield it, you could make it look like just a single block or something. So what, what are they going to do about those? You're not going let, to let, let you take those then? So we could have a situation where you can't take on a, an uncharged device onto the flight, but you're also not allowed to carry with you when you're flying the device to charge your uncharged device. Yeah. Yeah? I take a, a hard drive with me when I travel. What about a hard drive? How how do they prove that a hard drive works? Are they going to make you f- get up a laptop and then plug it in? Yeah, it, it's just it doesn't seem and and I, I I thought about it. It just doesn't seem to make an awful lot of sense. And you know what? It would make some sense if they turn around and said, "Okay, well here's the threat. Here's what somebody tried to do. This is what we're trying to ensure can't happen again." But they won't tell us that. You know, and they go they go. Well, we're not responding to us specific threat at this time and at that point you start thinking oh hey so maybe this is just about tsa job security or justifying the millions they're asking for congress every quarter is to actually come up with a a spurious new threat that they've got to protect against all it's going to do is going to slow down the tsa lines it's going to slow down security it's going to inconvenience more people you're going to have more people raging at and getting into trouble at security because they're having devices confiscated it's making flight uh, air travel even more of a hell than it already is uh for a you know of course people say yeah nobody wants to get uh, involved in a terrorist incident on a plane no i don't want to either 
Obviously, nobody wants that. But the question is, at what point you can never get a hundred percent risk avoidance? So, what what point? Where where does the balance lie? And have we crossed it some time ago? And I'm starting to wonder whether we have. Here's the thing, David. This is my when it comes to what's been going on in the world for the last 15, 20 years, in longer, let's be honest, when it comes to the overreaction of potential threats and the pursuit of safety, which is nowhere in our you know mandate as a country here in the United States, and it's probably not in yours either. I simply go back to my childhood, which was, in this case, 1755. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I look at one of the four founders of my country and a quote made by him on November 11th, 1755. His name was Benjamin Franklin. Some people have, might have heard of him. And the quote is, those who would give up essential liberty to pursue a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Now, is it essential liberties giving up? No, it's not for the cell phone. But when you start taking it as everything altogether, the totality of it, it's ridiculous. And I see it over and over and over, and I've seen yeah. it especially since 2001. You know, when what happened in the terrorist, the domestic terrorist attack in Oklahoma City. You know what they did with the Fed? And that was a federal building, right? Yeah. We have a federal building here where I live. You know what their overreaction was at that point? There wasn't one. They simply put giant planters made of giant concrete things and they planted flowers in them. And they essentially blocked the ability for any car to drive too close to the building. And those that had to, had to go through a security gate or two, and it could be inspected. But for what happened in Oklahoma City, they just drove up to the building, got out and blew up the truck, right? Uh -huh. You can't do that as easily. Uh, there's, there's physical things in the way. But here's the thing, the physical things, they're not ugly. They've got flowers growing out of them. Yeah. They look decorative. That's not an overreaction. That's a fair way to, to deal with that situation. What's happened after 2001 has been an overreaction of proportional, of, no, let me, uh, of epic proportions. Let me put it that way. Yeah. It hasn't been proportional to the threats that are out there. Well, not only that, the people who make these decisions. The guys who manage the TSA, yeah, who consult with security consultants and with military guys and intelligence guys and all this sort of thing, none of these guys, none of these things apply to them. No. Nope. Because they have TSA badges. They have security clearance. They just get waved through all these checkpoints. They can take whatever they want because they're trusted, they're vetted, they're, you know... So, so it's completely non-impactful to them. And it's the poor schlobs who run these TSA lines, who are paid whatever they're paid, not great wages, yeah, who often subsist. There are a few bad apples in there who subsisted those wages by stealing stuff of passengers. 
oh, well, here's a great opportunity to steal some nice high value stuff now. And they've done and, it. And, and obviously, that's not that's point oh oh one percent of TSA employees, but it's still a risk, and it's a risk that you're increasing by having loads of confiscated stuff lying around of high value. Yeah, and it, and it's this is just insane. It's just insane. It just doesn't measure up to the threat at all. And this, all of this stuff is being x-rayed anyway. Yep. It is not like we're saying, oh, you... you, you I, I, I can't... I, you, the, the more cynical side of me heard this and thought, are they trying to justify their existence? Or what they're trying to do is is make it more inconvenient for people to, to carry electronic devices so that they carry fewer of them. Well, the and if that's is- the case, then what they should just turn around... They should come turn around and say, look... Screening these devices is really hard. Uh, we, we're, one of these days, one of them's going to slip through. It's going to have a problem in. So you know what, everybody, if you want to do your patriotic duty, just do us a favour and leave a few of the gadgets at home. Yeah. If they came out and said that, you know what, I think everybody would be much more on board with it, yeah. rather than this kind of faux, non-specific. Oh, there's a real threat, but we can't tell you what it is, and we can't tell you any details about it. But now you've got to do this and this and this. And the other thing as well is, this is not a blanket rule. They are not going to check every device. They are going to pick people out. Yep. So you're never going to know whether you're going to get caught or not and have to show that all your devices are working. The TSA so it- is, uh, is a joke. I watched a documentary a few months ago, and it's actually on Netflix. Um, I don't know if everyone listening to this, it's available in your country via Netflix. But I'm going to put a link into this video in the show notes. Remember, it's Tech Fan Podcast. Uh, number 169 so if you go to techfanpodcast.com i'm gonna have a link in the in the show notes but the documentary is called please remove your shoes and the description is this documentary examines the transportation security administration which is the tsa uh, role as protector of the u.s skies questioning the agency's effectiveness it is a damning damning documentary for them and I already had a low opinion of this organization to begin with. They got these people walking around airports with badges on, but yet they're not law enforcement. They have no way to arrest you. They're a joke. They don't know what they're doing. They're poorly trained. They're looking in the wrong directions all the time. It's, it's, it's a mess. But this documentary, wow. Hopefully you'll be able to watch this, David, because I think you'd really... It, it probably you don't even live in the United States, and it'll probably piss you off too. <laughs> well, and trust me, the guys the guys we have here are just as bad. Yeah, um, you know, and a lot of them are very, very po faced, um, not very effective, uh, very. Uh, what over here in Britain we have a, we have a um, we have a term for people like this. We call them jobsworths. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, uh, well, I, I can't break the rules. That's more than my job's worth, and you know, uh, they. Yeah, they they're just. They, well, here, the, when you the, give someone a badge, but they're not actually law enforcement, they've gone through zero training to be law enforcement. Yeah. They puff up their chest and they walk around like they're Barney badasses. Yeah, kind of like Cliff Clayburn and yep. Cheers. Like yep. I'm a government employee, I wear a uniform. You know. Yep. So uh, yeah, this is the the point is, and and actually, what this does is is by upsetting people, this actually undermines everyone's security. It absolutely does, a hundred percent. Because every time you get somebody shouting and screaming at a security employee because they're going to take his phone off him, at the same time that kerfuffle is is diverting for everyone from everybody else streaming through, and that's when you're going to get a security breach. Yep. 
Yeah, no. you said pathy through, and then the yeah, real bad and, guys and I don't, right I behind them. I just don't understand if you're if you're X-raying all of these things anyway. What the extra value this gives for the huge amount of inconvenience it's going to cause? Yeah, look, the point is is that nine times out of ten you'll remember to charge your devices. And yes, certainly the next time I travel to the states, I will take less gear with me. Uh, absolutely, as a result of this, because I don't want to have to remember to charge five, six devices, something like that. But the point is is that sometimes your devices has no charge and it's not you are not willfully trying to cause a problem or anything like that it's just kind of happened and look if if i'm living in the uk as an example since i'm talking to you and i'm planning next year's big family vacation and i've got kids and i know i'm going to do a little bit of work while i'm on vacation in the hotel room at night get caught up on email because we both know that can get out of control if you don't stay on top of it yeah and here's the choice we can go to the united states go to i don't know naples florida or we can go to the south of france and i'm gonna fly regardless i know you drive but yeah what's a better option you start weighing them oh yeah absolutely hmm and that's gonna long term hurt the travel industry which hurts businesses which in turns means less tax revenue which means less tsa agents which means less security although i would point out the fact that tsa has about as much to do with security as mcdonald's does yeah what what i the other thing i can't understand from um from an american's perspective is that big political debate in your country for since since obama became president about how you know the tea party they want to see less government they want to see less regulation they want to see less government interfering in our lives and yet stuff like this comes along and then everyone just goes fine no problem i would i would point back to the well here's the thing david and this is not going to be popular and uh I accept that. I accept it as this is my opinion, and I think most people are going to disagree with me. And I've said it for a long time, and I've never heard anybody agree with me. They always want to argue. So I know I'm in the minority, and I know it's not a popular opinion. But I don't care, to be honest with you. I think after 9-11, it showed that many, 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 many Americans are scared little children. They've been insular so long and things were going so well in this country that a little bit of diverse, uh, adversity shows up and they want to go hide underneath their bed and they just yeah. want to feel safe. I, I'm scared. Oh my God, there was just an attack and I'm scared now. Yeah. That's why that's, I think that's why a lot of Americans like to walk around with, with handguns. Right, because it, make, it makes it makes them feel better. It, it's not, you know, they're probably increasing, decreasing their security by, by having a gun and being having the risk of getting into a gunfight with somebody. But it makes them feel better. Yeah, and you know? and I think I think I'm right, and I know a yeah. lot of people disagree with it. Look, I'm a proud American. I am, but I haven't always been proud of the actions of this country, and I think the political leaders that we have, on both sides of the the aisle prey upon that fear they prey upon being i got your message i got it mm-hmm. prey upon the public's fear of the unknown the public's fear of possible terror attack and the news media propagates it 
And the policies that they put in place is based on fear. And that fear, as Yoda told us, leads to hatred. Yep. And hatred leads to the dark side. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we know how that turned out. We, yeah. We eventually yeah. elect uh, Emperor Calipane. Yeah. Any, Cal- anything, anything, that, anything that brings uh, Hayden Christian, Christensen to have to do his serious angry acting. No. Bad... <laughs> Actually, that was a better no than in the movie. His was yeah. no. <laughs> All right, man. We should wrap up this episode. We're approaching one hour. I do want to remind people once again: we do have a raffle to to borrow from David. We're giving away two codes to Lego Marvel Superheroes on Steam. To get your name in the raffle, send an email to contest at mymac.com. We're giving away two copies. Guy and Gaz on the MyMac show are going to be giving away three copies. So make sure you listen to that show next week. Um, let me pull up because I'm not sure what episode they're coming up on. And, you know, I, I, I want to be able to make sure that people are listening to the right episode. So listen to MyMac podcast number 513, 513 for your chance to win one of these copies of Lego Marvel Superheroes on Steam. David, thanks for being here this week, man. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. And we'll see everyone next week.